to the Lost in the Shuffle podcast brought to you by your online source for tap dance education, itaponline.com. My name is Hillary Marie. I am your host and I am here to support you in your tap dance journey with quick and easy access to new knowledge and fresh inspiration. And you guys, today is a really big episode. This year, Jersey Tap Fest turns 10. By the time you are actually hearing this episode, I will be in day two of the 10th annual celebration of Jersey Tap Fest. And I thought, what better way to celebrate than sharing 10 years of life lessons that I have learned as the founder and director of Jersey Tap Fest. So before we get started though, I do have an ask. If you have learned something new, from this podcast, please do me a favor and leave a five-star rating and review. You guys, we are in an algorithm-based world and the only way other super passionate tap dancers like you will hear about this podcast is through your rating and your review and if you tell a friend. So go ahead and spread the word, tell your friends, share some of the show notes online, Give that five-star rating and review, and you have my gratitude and thanks. Thank you for that. So I want to celebrate Jersey Tap Fest's 10th year by sharing 10 years of lessons that I have learned, challenges that I overcame, changes that I made, biggest mistakes I made, and you guys, there have been plenty, trust me and so much more. So stick around because I will start by sharing the challenges I've experienced over the years and how I overcame them, but I will also talk about the changes I've made and why, and then I will finish up with the extra fun stuff, you guys, and those are my biggest mistakes, my biggest failures, and I will share those with you in hopes that it will save you some time and money to not repeat them. So let's get started with some challenges. Now, the secret to production is how quickly you can put out fires. And if you can put out a fire super fast, so fast that no one even notices that it was ever an issue, then you, my friend, are winning as a producer. So some of the common challenges that would pop up over the years Um, I've had trains that stopped running and all artists from Manhattan couldn't make it. So I'm very lucky because Jersey Tap Fest is in New Jersey and it is a hop, skip and a jump away from New York City. So I've been able to bring beautiful artists, amazing friends of mine, all the way from New York City at low cost. They hop on the train, but man, we have run into some issues and technical problems where the trains just stopped running and none of the artists from Manhattan could make it. So the way I solved that problem as many problems can be solved is by throwing money at it. You know, as you produce larger scale events, you are going to run into different types of issues. And those are ones that can be solved by just throwing the money at it or ones that can only be solved by changing your thought and your approach to fix the problem. So whenever it comes to a transportation issue, my recommendation is to just throw some money at it and don't stress. 
Next, another challenge that I ran into one year was that I outgrew the studio that I had rented two weeks before the start of the event. So here's what happened, you guys. I go on a family vacation um, to LBI, down to Long Beach Island, down the shore, as us Jersey folks like to say. And every year I go on this beautiful family reunion style vacation. And I do my best to really truly disconnect during that time. And one of those years I went on vacation and I wasn't watching the registration numbers. And I just had a huge surge of registration and I didn't close out programs fast enough. And so I had outgrown the studio I had rented and it was two weeks before the event. So everybody already knew where they were staying. They were paid up at the hotel. So, you know, I really had to find a dance studio in a nearby radius that had three studios with sprung wood floors. That is like finding a unicorn, you guys. But I was able to do it, and I was able to move the studio at the last second. And to be honest, you know, I ended up paying a heavier rental fee for that because it was so last minute and because, you know, I had to negotiate the new contract, but it did allow me to grow the program way bigger. So I was very, very happy about that. All right, so now here's <laughs> here's a big challenge that I've run into, and that is breaking down, um, not breaking down, but breaking the air conditioning system. Nobody knows how to bust an air conditioning system like me, you guys, which is very funny because I'm not even big on running the AC in the dance studio, but you know, in New Jersey, in the dead of August, and with that many bodies in the room, you know, Jersey Tap Fest, I do close out the classes. That's one of the things that we were always known for is capping out our class sizes because not all festivals do that. And not only do we cap our class sizes, but we have room monitors who are there checking people in at the door to make sure that people aren't skipping between classes or slipping in the studio. And that is specifically because if the room gets too packed, everybody is just clipping each other's ankles while they're trying to dance. Nobody can hear the teacher and it's not an optimal learning environment. So that's one of the things that we've always been known for. But regardless, no matter how many times I capped the rooms out, it was New Jersey in like the first or second week of August and it is the hottest, most humid time of year. And the AC broke on me at minimum three years in a row. I mean, it broke, it stopped. There were other years where it broke and we were able to get it fixed quickly. But every time it broke, what we would always do is um, we would just run to quick check or to the gas station wherever we could and we would buy tons and tons of water bottles and ice and we would ask the teachers to take water breaks more often and we gave everybody free water and we did our best to hide that the AC ever broke while we ran to solve the problem, right? So that goes to that first mention that I had of your success as a producer is how quickly you can solve a problem and if you can solve it before anybody notices so you know the AC breaking down sounds like it's not a big deal but like I said you know that week of Jersey Tap Fest is notoriously the hottest week of the year and the most humid and there are just so many bodies in the room that it can really be wicked all right so the next challenge that I had to overcome and and man you guys this one was so stressful I think 
this was year three. It was either year two or year three. You guys, they all start to blur together once you hit year 10. (laughs) But there was a hurricane that hit New Jersey that was really, really bad. You know, we aren't really accustomed to hurricanes out here. By the time a hurricane hits us, it's usually a tropical storm at most. And this was truly a hurricane that hit the shores. And... I didn't know what to do. You know, the, the festival was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and this hurricane was coming, like it was going to be breaking our area by Saturday night. And then we had classes on Sunday and we had the show that night. And I was so young when I was doing this and I didn't know what to do. I, I was just a heap of tears <laughs> trying to figure out what was the best decision that I could make. You know, I didn't want to cancel and not pay the artists who had set aside their time to be there. I didn't want to have to provide refunds because I didn't have the classes because I wanted to pay the teachers and it was so stressful. And so the decision that I made was to have the show because the hurricane wasn't supposed to hit till about 10 PM. And I chose to host the show because it was less expensive to run the show than it was to cancel it, believe it or not. So I made that decision and then I canceled all of the classes on Sunday. And then the following year, I offered a like 15% hurricane discount. So if you were a student the previous year, um, you just automatically got a 15% hurricane discount if you attended the following season. And that settled that I paid all the teachers for the time that they would have been scheduled to teach, even though they didn't teach. And I hosted the show. Now I'll tell you, there weren't that many people at the show. There weren't that many people in the audience and there weren't even that many people on stage, but I got through it and that you guys was really, really stressful. So for those of you who are producers out there, you should know that there is something known as an act of God clause. So if you have to cancel your show at a theater because of an act of God, you are able to get your deposit back and you are not responsible for the cost of the theater. So consider reviewing your theater rental contracts for this act of God clause, but also consider placing an act of God clause into your contracts for teachers and artists that you're hiring as well. Acts of God can include hurricanes, um, other natural disasters, anything that is just absolutely out of your hands. And that is what it is called contractually. So every year was always something. And like I said, you guys, the faster you could put out the fire, the stronger of a producer you are, but sometimes the challenges you come across aren't literal obstacles to overcome, but they can be the people that you come across. So other challenges that I've run into, especially in the early years of the festival is that I would be taken advantage of, and this could be by artists that I hired or by students and their parents. So there have been times, you know, especially in those early years that I would hire artists who would demand to be paid more money at the last minute claiming that they never signed a contract, or maybe they would demand to be paid cash at the last minute, again, claiming that they never signed a contract. And I'm talking about, I literally had the contract in my hands 
from their email that they signed and scanned me and they would say, I know that's my signature, but I don't remember signing that because I only get paid in cash and there's no way I would have agreed to a check payment where I have to pay taxes. So I would run into issues like that. At the, and when I say at the last second, I'm talking about like right before they teach their class, they would say, you know, hey, Hill, you know, um, where's a... Do you have an envelope for me? It's cash, right? Right? Because you know I don't take payment in a check. And I would run into those situations at the last minute. Over time, though, I just put my foot down. You know, in the early years, I would run scrambling to the ATM trying to figure out how to take care of these people. And as I grew older and wiser, you know, I just put my foot down. I said, this is the, this is the contract. This is your signature. You're going to be issued a 1099 and you're going to have to pay taxes on your income. And that's a discussion that you can have with your accountant. So other situations that would happen, I mean, (laughs) this is a tough one. I would have artists literally go rogue and they would not show up to their class time, literally blowing off their class and not even communicating. I'm not talking about there was a transportation issue or a communication issue. I'm just talking about somebody who decided that they didn't want to wake up in the morning and teach that early. And sometimes they would try and negotiate swapping a class with another artist and you know, then they would expect to be paid the same amount that they were promised as if they had taught all the classes that they were contracted to, even though they didn't show up. Right. So another moment where, you know, I was tried, somebody tried to take advantage of me. I had a theater one time that tried to overcharge me an extra $2,000, you guys, $2,000, simply because I did not provide their union crew with Coca-Cola. I kid you not, you guys. Literally, I gave their crew pizza and water. They did not work the entire show because I brought in my own crew and they claimed it was a breach of contract because it was water and not Coca-Cola and water isn't a real meal. So there was no Coca-Cola clause. That's what I do. I joke about it and I call it my Coca-Cola clause. There was no clause in there that stated that I needed to provide them with soda and a meal. It just stated that I needed to provide them with a meal. I gave them pizza. I gave them water. This was a union crew, a union house. So if you are a producer, you got to watch out for union house rules, right? And even scarier are the theaters that are non-union crews that run by union house rules. So I'm not saying beware of those theaters and don't take a contract with them. I'm just saying that you have to read through and fully, fully understand your contract. So they tried to charge me an extra $2,000 for this and I fought it. I did not pay it, but let me tell you, they sure tried it with me and I stood my ground and I think I was, I was about 18 or 19 years old when I was working at that theater. And so I truly do feel in my heart and soul that they were trying to take advantage of me because I was young. So in terms of challenges, every year, you guys, every single year had a challenge. There was never a single Jersey Tap Fest gone easy. Every single one had a challenge. But the whole taking advantage, um, sorry, the whole being taken advantage of thing, That stopped by about year five, and that was due to a combination of things. One was I was older. 
The second was that I had developed an ability to clearly communicate and stand my ground. And most importantly, what really made a huge difference was that I started hiring people based on their human character alongside their artistry and not solely based on their artistry. There are beautiful artists out there. There are beautiful members and leaders of our tap dance community, but they struggle to communicate well and they struggle to communicate their values and maybe their values don't align with my values. And so when I started making that choice to not only hire somebody based on their name, meaning who they would be able to bring in as a draw, and I really took into consideration what it was like working with them. And if we're working towards the same goals in the tap dance community, i.e., you know, not just taking the paycheck and running, but truly contributing to the tap dance community while also being compensated appropriately, it really did make a difference. So that's it for challenges. Let's talk about making changes uh, over all these years, making changes. So as I became more involved with the Lindy Hop circuit, it inspired me to try new things. So in the Lindy Hop circuit, they have events that are pretty similar to tap festivals, and they're always inspired to try something new. And I'm not talking about little changes. I'm talking about huge program format changes. And they were absolutely fearless about it. So it inspired me to go big and make some big changes. And for me, the easiest place to start making those changes was in the show. So a lot of tap festivals are the same, you guys, year to year to year to year. They have the same exact program. You know, the tap festival that you attend in one city has the same tap festival format as you know, another city, and that is there are classes, you know, you have master classes, you have residencies, you have a student showcase, you have a tap jam, you have a culminating show that maybe some of the kids perform in and all the faculty perform in, right? This is the standard format. But I just noticed in the Lindy Hop community that they did things differently and that they didn't care. They were they were fearless with their changes. So the first place I started making changes was in the show. So I offered two shows. There was one year that I offered two shows, and that's because my publicist was pushing for me to offer more performances to encourage press to review the event because press, you know, at least in the New York, New Jersey area, it's different. If you're out in a different city, maybe this doesn't apply to you, but summer is really hard. And it's hard to get reviewers to attend, but it's also really difficult to get reviewers to attend a one-time show. They want to do write-ups for shows that will happen multiple times. So my publicist was pushing me for this. And at that time, I was in this mood where I wanted to focus more on the artistry of the performances than I wanted to focus on the classes. So I saw it as a win-win and I went for it. I presented my show Soul Walk and the second performance was the faculty concert. But I changed from the traditional faculty concert format to inviting three companies, three artists and their companies to do a 15 to 20 minute work and youth companies would perform in between those acts. So the faculty show was cool, but it didn't entirely come out the way that I was hoping it would. It felt a little bit choppy, and if I were to do it again, maybe I'd throw out some sort of theme that I wanted all of the companies to loosely tie them together. So with these two shows on the same weekend, 
The other challenge I came across and what ended up happening was a lot of people picked one show or the other. Not a lot of people attended both, so in hindsight, I would have offered a package ticket deal, something like $30 per show or $40 to attend both, um, something that would have financially encouraged them to attend both. However, you know, now that I think about that, I'm not certain how that would have worked out administratively and what sort of administrative effort it would take to have to account for those discounted dual tickets, but I'm throwing the thoughts out there because that's what I learned from that. Now, the year before I did this two-show split thing, I tried something interesting and I made a rule that no one was allowed to be on stage by themselves. No more solos. I was sick of what I call the solo parade. Now, my definition of the solo parade is when it's back to back to back to back solos, and it just becomes increasingly faster, more intense, heavier hitting footwork. It's like everyone feels the pressure of comparison and gives into it. They start throwing music to the wind and subconsciously, not purposely, but subconsciously trying to outdo each other. And it just becomes one big pissing contest. So to prevent that, I told everyone that they had to share the stage with someone. I didn't care who it was. It could be another faculty member. It could be a spoken word artist, a violinist. I didn't care who it was. They had a live band, but I wanted to see collaborative bodies of work. Now, I like what came out of that, but it wasn't as tight as I wanted. So the following year was the two, the two show split thing, right? Now, the year after that, Instead, I went on to curate it more by grouping people together. So I took different faculty artists and I grouped them together. Now, if you are an event producer and you choose to do something like this, you've got to know how much thought was truly put into it. I put so much thought into curating this. I was able to pair people together that I knew would work well together in terms of personality, but also in terms of convenience. So I would put people together based on whether or not they had worked together previously. So I knew that they would have a basis of material to pull from. So for example, some of my annual local faculty members for Jersey Tap Fest are Karen Calloway-Williams, Jeff Foote, and Kyle Wilder. Now they have all worked together in the New Jersey Tap Ensemble and you know, it's, they've been dancing together for so, so many years. It's not that challenging and that far-fetched for me to put them together and ask them to come together, uh, to come up with a new body of work. So another example I'll give you, um, one year, Lisa Latouche and Claudia Raharginoto and I did a piece together. So we all worked in the Sophisticated Ladies with Dormisha Sumbri Edwards, the Cotton Club Sophisticated Ladies, but I was also in Lisa Latouche's Tap Phonics group for a while. And so... It was just easy for us to come together and put together a piece. We had, um, we all have a similar understanding of historical repertoire that we could pull little bits and pieces from. We're all super comfortable improvisers and we were able to create a nice piece that flowed together without really putting much thought into it. And that piece came out really, really nice. 
another thing that I did was Anthony Margerato and Ayadeli Cassell. They put a piece together and presented at the show, and they had recently done a video together before that year, and they had done some live performances together, you know, through their relationship in Operation Tap. So it really worked out beautifully, and I really did enjoy this type of show format. To me, it felt more connected. It felt more like a full-length concert and less like a tap festival recital. Now, no matter what changes I implemented in the show, it was always a 75 to 90 minute show at most. If the show hit 90 minutes, it was only because we had an intermission. Never, ever, ever has in 10 years, has there ever been a two to three hour show. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. And there are ways that you can manage this. You have to look first of all at how many numbers you have in your show. You also have to provide artists with time caps. You have to let them know, listen, I only want a six minute piece or a four minute improvised solo, whatever it is. And then I would always put that through and I would estimate, you know, some buffer time for the people that would go over because they're working with live bands and that's hard. You're not going to, you know, have consistency and timing with live music as you would with a track, but I would put in time for applause. I would estimate time for a host. If we had an MC hosting the show, I would also curate when the host came out, when I, when I've had an MC, I would highlight in the program when I I wanted them to come out and what I wanted them to cover. So I really did put a lot of heart, soul, thought, and energy into making this show not a tap festival recital, but a true dance concert so that not just regular tap festival attendees would attend the show, but local public audience members would attend it every year and look forward to it as well. So other changes um, that I've tried in formatting for the festival, not just the show, but the overall festival that I've tried over the years. Um, a number of years ago, I scrapped our panel discussions. So the format of a panel, uh, panel discussion is pretty set across the board at tap festivals. It can often be in brunch format. It might be the day after the show. So everyone is super tired and not in the mood to really talk, no matter how much orange juice and donuts you give them. <laughs> and, you know, everyone would go down the line and give their story about how they started dancing. And to me, you know, Maybe I just get bored easily, I don't know, but after so many years and having repeat artists, it just got old to me. So many of the people who attended Jersey Tap Fest would attend for anywhere between three and seven consecutive years, depending on their age. So that's also what allowed me to grow the festival is that I had a really high retention rate with who would return each season and participate. So you know, these people would come for many, many years and more people than not had already heard these stories about how each artist had started dancing. And also, you know, during these panel discussions, weird things would come out, you know, like, like different people's insecurities, you know, as artists. And I think it's specifically because there were so many people on the panel. Sometimes I had up to 15 people on the panel and a student might ask a question about, you know, how did you know when you wanted to be, uh, you know, become a tap dancer? And it would turn into another weird pissing contest of who can name drop bigger, what awards they've won. And they wouldn't really answer the question, but, you know, people would give in to this pressure of comparison-itis, you know, 
these beautiful tap dance artists that are on faculty, you know, these are my friends and these are my peers and they're human beings. We give in to comparisonitis, all of us do. It's so hard. And I found that the panel discussions were a breeding ground for this. So I made a change and I changed it over to a more intimate tap talks where I would bring together two or three artists and, you know, I would pick these artists based on who I knew could, you know, talk shop well together. And we didn't do background. We didn't talk about when we first started dancing. We just started answering questions right out the gate. And my goodness, you guys, the questions were so beautiful. Man, my students who were there would kick it off with some deep, deep stuff. And from there, I'm talking all ages, all levels, just deep questions that like when they asked us, we would sit back and say like, damn, that was a really good question. You're making me think really, really hard. And the discussions that came out of it were beautiful. And you can hear some of that in other episodes of this Lost in the Shuffle podcast. I've got some great recordings um, from the Jersey Tap Fest Tap Talks with Justin Miles, um, Mark Orsborne, and Brill Barrett. And I will be dropping some more for you guys soon. So keep an eye out for that. Now it is year 10 and I'm still making some big changes. This year, instead of hosting over 200 tap dancers and 20 some faculty members with a four day event and a live concert, I changed up the entire program and I put out a call for 20 high level teenage and adult tap dancers. I will be hosting them for a five day event at my studio, Grooves Unlimited Dance Studio in Livingston, New Jersey with three other artists. And this is an entirely different program. Many people thought it was an additional program that I was rolling out, but no, you guys, this was the entire program offering. It is a tap festival format that I haven't really seen before, and I am super, super excited about it, but I will wait to tell you more about it in a future episode after I've had a chance to reflect on it when it's wrapped up, so you can look forward to that. All right. Next, and I know this is what we all really want to hear, isn't it? Biggest mistakes, biggest mistakes, biggest failures. I share these with you in hopes that you do not have to go through them. These are lessons that I learned the hard way. And a lot of these are life lessons across the board. And when I say that I learned them the hard way, these lessons maybe came at a cost of my time my health, my sanity, my money, my relationships. So, you know, they, these, these mistakes and failures that I came across, they are not specific to tap festivals only. They apply to many aspects of life. So here we go, you guys, my biggest mistakes and failures in the 10 years that I have been producing Jersey Tap Fest. The first one that comes to mind is not hiring help soon enough. I truly was convinced that no one could do the tasks that needed to be done as well as me. And this is a challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs come up against. And I'll say flat out, it is just stupid. It is both your ego and your heart talking. Your heart truly wants everything to go well and to be done perfectly. And then your ego steps in and says, I'm number one. No one can do it better than me. 
And that's just silly, you guys. So I have had interns since year one. I always had interns because I was an intern at a tap festival, at many tap festivals, growing up as a kid, and I knew it was important. But I wasn't letting those interns take on as much as I should have when I started. And over time, I loosened the reins and I started to delegate more. And then with time and an increase of money coming in, I started hiring people to help with the event and so on. Now, I had to transition from being the doer to being a leader in order to grow and sustain this growth in my business in this tap festival and i had to be willing to invest financially into paying for help before the registration dollars even rolled in so i didn't even have the money to hire somebody but i did it anyway because i knew that i had to in order to grow the program and then the money came back and i was able to justify having paid that person so all in all it was a good idea so What was my biggest mistake forced me to start hiring help and growing my team. And that was one of the smartest moves that I ever made. And that's a lesson that I carry over into everything that I do into, you know, running and managing Grooves Unlimited Dance Studio, into running and managing my professional company, Hilary Marie's Soul Music Collective. So that biggest mistake ended up being one of the greatest experiences that I ever had. All right, so next is, and this might sound funny, you know, this might sound a bit contradictory, but the next biggest mistake I made was accepting volunteer help. Free help is not free. I will repeat it again. Free help is not free, you guys. It comes at a cost. Maybe the cost is not financial, but it could be the cost of your sanity, your well-being, your safety, or your friendship with that person. So just don't do it. No matter how tempting it is, do not accept free help. Now, I do not consider interns to be free help because they are working in exchange for a specific amount of money in class dollars. They have unlimited participation in all of the classes, the entire program, and I know what that is valued at because I know what I'm charging people for that. But I always made sure to protect their class time. So there are a lot of tap festivals out there where people work like 100 hours and they dance about five, and I don't play that. My interns get their class time because like I said before, I was an intern at so many festivals, so I am empathetic to their situation. I'm talking about friends just straight up offering free help, saying, let me design the postcard for you. I'll film the show. Let me manage your social media. Whatever it is, as kind and as beautiful of an offer as it is, just say no thank you or get your wallet out and compensate them for it. Because when you pay someone to do work for you, it is a transaction. You do this for me, I give you your money, and then the transaction is complete. But if there's no transaction, you know, then you're sitting around waiting, you know, like when, when you're paying somebody to do work for you, there's no, hey, remember when I did you that favor? you owe me now. And there's no, you know, checking in, Hey, do you have this? You know, I saw that there are no social media posts scheduled and we really got to get the word out about the show. You know, have you gotten around to it? And they say, Oh yeah, I didn't get around to it yet. And now you're screwed and you're either going to have to 
pick up the pieces and do the task yourself, which maybe you didn't have the time budgeted for, or now you're stressed out about your relationship with this person. So my advice to you is that no matter how tempting it is to accept free help, just pass, just say no thank you. Now, my next biggest mistake that I have made so many times, oh my goodness, you guys, year after year after year after year, you would think I would have learned this lesson, but I didn't. And that was not taking care of myself. I used to run myself into the ground with this event. I would be sick for about 10 days after I finished. I'm talking no voice, head cold, you name it. One year, I caught a terrible, terrible flu. And that was the year that we had a two-show weekend. That was the year that I presented my full-length show and then the entire faculty concert on top of the entire festival. You guys, I just wanted to die on stage. I wanted to die on stage. I wanted to die back at the studio. I felt terrible. I could barely get through anything. And one of the reasons why I even started hiring an MC to host the show for so many years was simply because I couldn't talk on stage. I had no voice. I was fully capable of hosting my own show, but well, I guess I wasn't fully capable of hosting my show because I had no voice. So in time, I learned to take care of myself. I didn't hang out late at night with everyone, and it broke my heart because that's one of my favorite parts of a tap festival, the hangs. But it's just not the same when you're the director. It's not the same when you're the producer. So I learned my lesson, and I would make the dinner reservations for everyone to hang out each night, and I would go with everyone. I would get everybody settled, and then I would order my food to go. I would pay for it, and I would leave, and I would eat in the hotel room. I would shower, and I would put myself to bed right away. I literally had a timer set. I knew the exact time that I had to be in bed. I would shoot for eight hours of sleep, but come hell or high water, I knew that I needed a minimum of six hours of sleep, or I was guaranteed to get sick. Another thing that I also learned to do was meal prep for the week. Now, to be honest with you guys, I owe this one to my mom. And if you guys have attended Jersey Tap Fest, you have seen my mother there. She's like the mayor of Jersey Tap Fest. She's just there representing, helping everybody out. My mom is like a squad rock star. I am very, very thankful to have her in my life. And for the last few years of Jersey Tap Fest, she would prep food for me in little containers that I could easily walk around with. And she would just put them in my hands while I was working throughout the week. She wouldn't ask if I was hungry. She wouldn't ask if I ate. She would just take these little, you know, containers of food, put them in my hand with a water bottle, and I would eat while I was working. I would just run around with that food in my hand, and I would just take care of feeding myself. So... This way, no one ever had to wait for me to look at a menu to order. I wouldn't have to wait for the deli to deliver the sandwich, whatever it was. I could eat healthy food throughout the day. And I also think this is, you know, between that and sleep, these are really the two reasons why I was able to make it through the most recent years of Jersey Tap Fest, not feeling like I'd been shot out of a cannon, not being a total train wreck. So you have to, have to, have to take care of yourself because if the director gets sick and falls apart, that is not good for anybody. Now, the next biggest mistake, and I did touch on this a little bit before, was hiring people 
for their big name. When you first start out, the only way to attract people to your event is based on your guest artists. You've got to bring in the names that people want to study with. But not everyone who has a big name is a kind person. So I had a number of really, really challenging years specifically because of the energy that certain artists brought with them. But the beautiful thing is that in time, you build your own name as a producer and people learn that events produced and directed by you have a certain vibe, they come at a certain price point, they have a certain quality of experience and that trustworthy reputation allows you to bring in the underdogs, bring in the people who aren't as popular but who are truly fantastic, beautiful artists and beautiful people inside and out who are deserving of the opportunity, quality educators who just don't have as big of a name yet. Now, my biggest mistake was not realizing and harnessing this trust sooner. And for that reason, I put up with a lot of crap for a lot of years. But remember that trust takes time to build and it often requires a nearly flawless record. Trust takes time to build, but you can lose it in one experience, in one night, in one event. So just because you've been producing for 10 years doesn't mean that people trust you. You have to provide them with the quality of experience that they are seeking to experience for a number of years and then that trust is earned. And then from there, you can go ahead and hire the artists that you love being around, the people that truly lift your spirit and therefore the spirit of all those who attend your event. Now, the next biggest mistake I had was not being able to say no. And this was really in the early years because again, I was a kid. Guys, I started Jersey Tap Fest when I was like 17 years old. I was a teenager, I was a child, I was a kid. And I was so excited to have this event and I was telling people about it and I could not believe how many people said, Hillary, I would love to be a part of your festival. And I was just in awe because they wanted to be a part of my thing. And it was young and it was ignorant. Of course they wanted to be a part of my thing. It was a paying gig. So I said yes to so many people. (laughs) You guys, my faculty, my faculty during my first year, the inaugural year of Jersey Tap Fest was like 20 some people. It was crazy. If you are ever starting an event off in your first year, please do yourself a favor and keep the faculty small. I lost so much money, so much money that first year, not just because it was my first year and you know, you should give yourself about three years to break even on your artistic business adventures, right? You're not necessarily going to make bank the first year. You might not even break even the first year. Your goal should really be year three. You've broken even on all of the costs that you've invested. And from there, you're making a profit. If by year three, you are not making a profit. And I'm going to talk about breaking even on years four, five, and six. I'm talking about making a profit. Then you need to step back and you need to revisit your structure. You need to revisit your artistic structure. You need to revisit your business structure because by year three, you should be breaking even and years four and on making money because you deserve that. These events, they, they take so much time, energy, and effort that you deserve that. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you don't. So 
if you're starting out, you guys, start small. Be small and mighty. You can have an amazing experience that you're offering to people by starting out small. And then over time, you scale. So those are really my biggest mistakes. And you know, if I just have to sum up my biggest takeaways from running this TAP Festival for 10 years now, all in all, I am so thankful for what the last 10 years have given me. I have crossed paths with so many people over the years because of Jersey Tap Fest, new friends, new mentors, new students, so many beautiful relationships. Jersey Tap Fest also gave me a foundation for my career as a touring tap dance artist. It was an outlet for my personal expression. It was an outlet for me to celebrate and give back to the tap dance community that I grew up in and that I loved so much. Jersey Tap Fest gave me these 10 years of life lessons. And for that, I am filled with so much thanks and gratitude. So my biggest takeaways from doing this over the last 10 years... If you don't see an event, you have to create it. You have to create the changes that you wish to see in the world, starting in your own community. If you don't see something that you feel belongs in the world, maybe it's an event, maybe it's a business, a service, whatever it is, I encourage you to go and create it. Don't wait for someone else to create it. And definitely don't wait for someone to give you permission or money, because that's definitely not going to happen, you guys. So if you don't see an event, create it. Create those changes that you wish to see in the world. And also invest in your own dreams. Invest your time, invest your money, invest your thoughts. Pour your heart and soul into your dreams. This tap festival really was a dream of mine. You know, since I first attended a tap festival, I said to myself, oh my gosh, I would love this at home in my own community. So pour your heart, soul, time, money, everything. Invest in your own dreams. The next thing is grow a team. We've heard that teamwork makes the dream work, and it's true because you truly can't do anything alone. So you have to grow your team and you have to surround yourself with people who are on the same page as you, who have the same mission as you, and spend that time together uplifting each other and uplifting your community. And the other thing is... Every year that you learn a lesson, take those lessons and run with them, document them, analyze them, make changes, and then learn the next round of lessons and repeat the process. Every time you go through an experience, you are walking away with a wealth of knowledge, but you have to do something with it. You have to write it down, you have to analyze it, and you have to decide what changes am I going to make in the future. And then you learn the next round of lessons and repeat that process. So overall, you guys know that I am a huge advocate of this, but having an entrepreneurial spirit in the artistic community is important, especially in the younger arts generation. The joy I have experienced, the lessons I have learned, the education that I have received, the people I have met. I can only wish an opportunity like this on everyone, on every single person in our beautiful tap dance community. I would not be who I am today without this experience. And this type of experience can be felt in so many different ways. You don't have to go out and produce a large scale event. 
Maybe that's not what's calling you. But if you have something in your heart and soul that you feel we need within this community, go for it. Be that change. Make that change within our community. It's the only way that we grow and develop together. And when we contribute these changes, we as an entire tap dance community, we rise together. So do what you can to contribute, to uplift the community. Let's all rise together. I love supporting you guys in every aspect of your tap dance journey. And if there's anything that I hope you guys know from this Lost in the Shuffle podcast and all of the other aspects of ITAP Online, it's that I am truly here to support you in every aspect. I want to do nothing but share my knowledge and my experience with you guys so that we together as a community can rise up and continue sharing our love and spreading our knowledge and passion of this art form all around the world. Because this is what tap dance is about. This is what the tap community is about. This is what the iTap Online community is about. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this and for, you know, I allowing me the time and the space to share these 10 years of life lessons that I've experienced through Jersey Tap Fest. This has been a really beautiful reflection and I'm very thankful to have the opportunity and to have a platform like this to share this information with you. So as always, you guys, I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your experiences at tap festivals, maybe your experiences of producing and directing events. Maybe you attended Jersey Tap Fest over the years and now you have an idea of what fueled some of the changes that I made and you want to comment on that. I would love to hear from you, whoever you are in the world, wherever you are shuffling, you are a member of the ITAP online community and I want to hear from you. So you can go ahead and comment on the show notes of this episode, or you can comment in the ITAP online community Facebook group, which can be found by going to itaponlinecommunity.com, or you can just type in ITAP online community in your Facebook app and join us. Join the conversation. There are almost 2,000 passionate tap dance teachers and tap dance students from all over the world in this beautiful, beautiful Facebook group. And we are just celebrating our love of tap dance and I would love to have you join us. And if you are looking to take your tap dance training to the next level, I invite you to join the iTap Online family. You can have one week of unlimited access to the iTap Online video library for just $1.00 by going over to itaponline.com, clicking on membership and scrolling down $1 for one week. My goal is to provide equal opportunity access to quality tap dance education to tap dancers and tap teachers all around the world. And by being an ITAP Online family member, you will have exclusive access to the ITAP Online video library, which is host to all of my courses for all ages and levels. And you will also have direct access access to me because I am always here to support you in your tap dance journey. So head on over to itaponline.com to check it out. I will look forward to speaking with you guys in the itap online community. I wish you all the best in everything that you do. And I very much hope that we can share some shuffles together soon.